The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO podcast. Fired up about today's show. Today, I am joined by Shay Hildebrand, who is a two-time Major League Baseball All-Star and has an Emmy Award-winning story. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker, sharing his story on stages across the globe. Shay has an elite performance company teaching world-class athletes and leaders how to create agency in their lives so they can control the narrative. As we speak, Shay is in the middle of writing his first book, set to be released later this year. Shay, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. You bet, man. And uh, I think we met, gosh, probably six, seven years ago at a baseball academy out in um, Arizona that I was doing some consulting for and your story and just your vibe and everything that you just gave off was powerful. So I'm glad to have you here and maybe just kick us off. I think a lot of people are going to know your baseball background, right? You're a star in many ways, but uh, maybe just give us a little bit about your uh, baseball background and then we'll go into the uh, business side. Yeah, I was that kid in fifth grade that uh, back in Mr. Murphy's class and I was vigorously raising my hand on let's dream big day today. And, and it was one of the only times I paid attention in class because I was always like wanting to be outside doing stuff. I couldn't sit still. And I was vigorously raising my hand and Mr. Murphy picked me uh, and he says, Shay, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to play Major League Baseball and I'm going to own a zoo. And all my classmates laughed at me. And it's interesting because in fifth grade, that's when my dream became tangible. Um, I, I took offense to it. I'm like, why are you guys laughing at my dream? That's my dream. I want to play Major League Baseball and I want to own a zoo. And uh, I made a pact that day. I made a pact with myself and nobody else that I'm going to do it. So uh, growing up in Southern California, I'd sit at the top deck at Dodger Stadium, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And the consistency of a Dodger fan, diehard Dodger fan in the 1980s, show up in the third, leave in the seventh to beat traffic, and listen to almighty Ben Scully on the radio. So I would sit there and just ingrain it into my soul, my DNA, the, the visualization, because that's the number one tool that we have that so many of us use visualization in the wrong sense uh, to visualize the negativity in our life because that's what we go through. But I'd sit there and engage my senses and I'd always imagine Vince Scully calling my name. So um, after junior college, I was drafted by the Red Sox and spent five years in the minor leagues. Uh, I spent, uh, it was a uh, player of the year, three of the five years. I pivoted so many times, like so many players do as they make the journey to the top, the vast majority of players, don't get there how you think you're going to get there. And that mirrors life. That mirrors business, entrepreneurship, um, all of that stuff. So um, I was drafted as a shortstop, made 14 errors in my first 10 games of shortstop and pro ball. Couldn't get any worse than that, but I was hitting the ball off the cover, or hitting the cover off the ball. Uh, so they moved me to third base and first base, and I did very well, player of the year. Then they said, you're not going to make it to the big leagues, first or third base, because there's a log jam in the system, and there's guys in the big leagues. So uh, they're like, you want to learn how to catch? So I went to Australia and learned how to catch. And then I tore my ACL, went back to third base, came to big league spring training as a catcher, uh, hoping to play uh, third hoping to play, uh, excuse me, triple A catcher, starting catching job in triple A Pawtucket for the Red Sox. 
but by the grace of God, I, I made the team. I was the first guy to go from double A to the big leagues for the Red Sox in 30 years. Uh, so I started on opening day at third base in 2001 for the Boston Red Sox. I'm on the field in Baltimore like, what's going on right now? I cannot believe this. I did it five years ago. I walked on at a junior college. It was, it was crazy. So I just put my head down at work. And my second year in the big leagues, I turned on ESPN. I never watched TV. I don't watch TV now. Like I said, I'm a Dodger fan. I've watched one full game my whole life outside of playing in baseball games in the major leagues. Um, I turned on the TV in June, and I'm like, what's – wait, what? Like, I'm leading the all-star ballot for third basements in the American League. I'm beating Robin Ventura. Like, this is crazy. So my second year in the big leagues, I started at third base for the Red Sox in, in all-star game. I had two – one more all-star game I was in. I was in a perfect game in Atlanta. Uh, behind Randy Johnson, no hitters, three home runs in one game. I had a lustrous, you know, it was a great career, a lot of highlights, but uh, I jumped ship in the prime of my career. I, I just left uh, uh, $50 million on the table to pursue my second childhood dream of owning a zoo. So that's kind of like a little snapshot of my major league career. There you go. Wow, amazing. I can I can just... So let's go back to you as a kid going to Dodgers games. Did you have a player you looked up to or a hero that was on the Dodgers or somebody that you looked up to? It's funny because in, in, in the same class, uh, Mr. Murphy's class, we, we had to dress up as a hero, dress up as a celebrity or whatever, and I picked Steve Sachs. So uh, to show you how much I didn't really care about the players, my favorite player was Steve Sachs. He could barely even throw the ball to first base. <laughs> uh, but he was the underdog. Uh, he, had, he had a decent career. Um, I never looked up to players. I never got autographs. I always said, I'm going to be down there someday. I'm going to be down there someday. I'm going to play Major League Baseball. I hear the crack of the bat, feel the energy from the roar of the crowd, and smell the freshly cut grass. And I'd always imagine the PA announcer, now batting, Shay Hildenbrand. Like, this was like ingrained in me. And I'd, I'd race home at night and lay in bed, and, and I'd just and video that over and over and over, visualization over and over, cash and paychecks, being on ESPN, the bottom ticker on ESPN, uh, being on TV, 40,000. So I just always imagined myself be in there and I never took no for an answer everybody always told me I couldn't do it you can't do it you're too old you can't play third base you can't hit you can't do this and that I just put my head down like LeBron James or like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan well I just said no matter I'm gonna put the work in I don't know what y'all are doing I'm going to the big leagues <laughs> I love it I love it so let me ask this I, I, I would think I might have thought those things too right when I was in high school and college but I didn't make it and I'm wondering, other people that think the same thing, what do you think was the difference of people like yourself that thought that versus somebody like myself that just didn't make it? Like, what was the thing that you think set yourself apart? Because there's only a very small percentage of people that make it to Major League Baseball, but I think a lot of people think they're going to make it, and they do work hard, or they do have the right mindset or some type of mindset, but what do you think it was that set you, you know, apart from everybody else? And it's funny you say that. So that's a, that's a tremendous question. The first story that comes to mind, we're playing for the Red Sox. We have an off day uh, in Baltimore. We have to happen to go to the Pentagon. And this general walks us around and shows us all these things in the Pentagon. And, and he said, hey, guys, I have a question for you. And we're like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's, he's, he's like this guy's distinguished. He's a, he tells us, he's like, we're, I'm in charge of so many military personnel's lives. Like hundreds of thousands of lives. I'm in charge of with whatever decision I make, it can mean that they live or they die. Why the heck do you guys make so much money? And I don't make a, a, a 
portion of what, a fraction of what you make. Like, like, what's the difference? And all of a sudden, no more Garcia Parra. He pipes up. He's like, with all due respect, sir, the reason why we make so much money and you can't is because in high school, I could hit a curveball and you couldn't. So that's where it is. I could hit a curveball and you couldn't. The thing was is that so many of us get lumped in the 80 percentile. The 80 percentile of the, the sea of red of baseball players. Three million youth baseball players in the United States. How do guys get a chance to go on after that? I learned this when I was in the showers with Pedro Martinez. Uh, when I was at minor league camp, going to big league camp. He said, son, let me tell you what the secret is. It's not how much you learn. It's how quickly you learn it is what gets you to the big league. And I took that. And I was like, man, that's what I've been doing. Here's an average guy. I barely even know how to play third base. I was average in high school, but I figured it out. I figured out how I worked. I tapped into the rest of the 20% of potential, and it put me out of the 80 percentile. I was lumped in the 80 percentile in high school. After high school, I walked on at a junior college. No options to play baseball anywhere. No options. But after high school and junior college, I began to tap into the other 15% that I had in the tank that I didn't know I had. So it's getting in the batting cage and then figuring out how to hit curveballs. Getting in the batting cage and understanding how to master hitting off the batter's team. This is life right here. So many of us want to hit grand slams and be the hero of the game, and we have no clue how to hit off a batter's team. So I mastered hitting off a batter's team, the very foundational stage of getting in there and mastering that. And then I went to soft toss, front toss, and then went to machine pitch. And I transitioned that into the game. I learned how to focus in the game. When do I start, read the pitch, react? Three things, three things, three things I'm focusing on when I'm in the game. So I'm just competing and competing and competing, whereas my, my counterparts, my competition, they're so worried about scouts in the stands, playing time, performing. I never worried about that because I always trained over and over and over. And I trained with a different intensity and with intention more so than other people did. And that's the separator right there. Whether you're a business, whether you're a professional athlete, or whether you're just trying to go out there and be the best dad you can or the best father follower of Christ. It's just like doing it with intention, not just showing up every single day to put the work in. What intention am I bringing today? What intensity am I bringing? How do I focus here? How do I max out with the, the ability that I have in the tank? That's a separator. I love that. And you said here, it's not what you learn, it's how quickly you can learn. And I keep saying to myself, I wish I would have known today as a 37-year-old what I knew right when I was 24. Because man, oh man, my life would be different, right? I would have made different decisions. And I think that's really cool. How are you able to speed up your learning? Whether you're a business owner, you're a high performer, you're a professional athlete, like how can you learn quicker? And whether it's maybe learn from your mistakes, yes, but learn from other people's mistakes so you don't have to go through the grind of life. Like, what does that look like? Deciding the right people around you, right? So if you want to, if you want to get out of where you are right now, I'm, I'm writing a training program right now as we speak, and this is part of the training program. Is like you have to get around people that are greater than you. You have to be in a space around people that are above where you are, where you where you want to go, that you resonate with. That could be through a podcast. That could be through sermons. That could be through YouTube videos. That could be through audiobooks. That could be through so many uh, devices, so many areas, so many platforms. We have it all at our fingertips right now, but we use this as a toy and not a tool. So what happens is, is you got to fail fast. You got to go out there and fail. You got to commit to it. You got to have conviction. You have to have certainty and you have to allow yourself to go out there and fail because failure is learning, right? So I think back in 2004, 
when I was playing for the D-backs. I hit five. I hit 310 for the D-backs. Only five guys in each league on average hit over 300. Now it doesn't matter. But when I played, hitting over 300 got you paid a lot of money. So I had 580 plate appearances. To hit 310, if we do the math, I failed 400 times out of 580 over six months in front of the world. With everybody telling you you suck and you're no good, and your mom's this and your wife's that and you can't do this or that. How do you do that? It's learning how to go from failure to failure and understanding how to extract a learning lesson. Okay, I have to get back to my emotional center when I fail. Then I have to extract a learning lesson. What did I do there? Did I swing at a strike? Was I on time? Where was my focus? Was I forcing it? Was I relaxed? Extract a lesson out of that, formulate a new plan, and deploy it. So you get back to the emotional center because the emotional center, when we have a failure, it flips us off, right? When I when I ground out, when I get a bad hit or I strike out, oh my gosh, we flip out because the pressure of where we're at. Get back to the emotional center. Understand how to do that by focusing on what did I do there? I have to analyze that formulate a new game plan and deploy it. I figured that out super quick and I just did it over and over and over and over and over. And if you do that, someday you might wake up and look up. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the big leagues. So, so many people allow that failure to define who they are instead of allowing that to refine who they are. We worry so much about what everybody else thinks. I can't tell you how many times I was in Yankee Stadium and it's like, the explicitives, like the crap that they told me, waking me up in the middle of the night, tell me I effing suck and all the, bring it, bring it. Like that confidence comes from diligently, intentionally putting the work in every single day and observing. Have to pay attention. You have to pay attention of how you function, how you operate, and then what's going on around you. What are the guys doing that are good? But most importantly, what are the guys doing around me that suck? Because so many guys get to the big leagues and think like, okay, I just got there. This is good enough. And they quit working. They quit, they quit putting in the work. And then all of a sudden, after a year or six months, or you see guys go up and they come back down or they get a job and they get released and go here. It's because they're not putting the work in. The game never ends. That's what I learned through my life. The game never ends. We constantly have to be evolving. We constantly have to be learning. And we constantly have to be a student of the game of life. Well, I know you're working on a book right now, and I think you're literally preaching these messages that need to be in this book because it's like, wow. And I, I think you just taught me why I think I didn't make it. I was a mental midget, Shay. I mentally couldn't get out of my head. So like what you mentioned earlier, hey, you fail. 0 for 1 turned into 0 for 4 or 0 for 5 real quick for me. 0 for 2, definitely 0 for 5. I was 0 for 1, maybe I could turn it around. But when I was 0 for 2, I was in my head in the dugout. There was no way to get around. And I'm assuming people that have a major league mindset, like they are figuring out ways to use that failure and turn it around. And I was able to do that. So when you were, I guess, failing, it's hard, whether you have three or four bad days in a row or bad games in a row, because, you know, I work with a lot of business owners. They have bad days. They have bad meetings. How are you able to, I don't know, just turn the page and learn from it and then move on? Because it's stuck to like, get stuck in all of these things. How do you do it? It's a system in the process. And these are amazing questions. This is what lights me on fire. And this is what separates a, a good big league player to an average big league player or what separates a, a, an all-star from a double-A player. The one thing that separates the best in the world from the rest of the pack is not ability. It's not going out there and having the talent. It's mindset. And that's one thing that I've mastered because I think what happened was when I was working, that's when I was in my own element. The only place I felt solitude was either in the batting cage or in the batter's box. 
And that's where it's crazy is because I love to perform because I knew how to prepare and present myself. Because you could never you could never control the outcome. You can't control the outcome of a meeting. You can't control the outcome of an interaction of sales or an at-bat or, or, or a game or the season. But you can only influence it. You influence by preparation and presentation. How do you prepare and how you present yourself? So simply put, when I trained in the batting cage off the batter's tee, I didn't just think about hitting line drives the back of the net like you did. You in general, not just you, because I don't know how you did it. I focused on four things. Four thing is direction. Where am I going to hit the ball? L screen. Second thing I'm looking at, I'm focusing on the ball, telling my mind, the RES, to dial it in, to hit the darn ball off the L screen. Step three is start my swing because I have to achieve my load. And then step four is I have to feel it. So I had a four-step process of what I focused on every single day in the cage to ingrain that, that swing into my nervous system, into my file cabinet, each location of the bat, of the, of the plate where the ball was. So if the ball is down the middle, boom, I'm hitting it there. Boom, I'm hitting it there. Boom, I'm hitting it there. If the ball's in, I'm going here. If the ball's away, I'm going over here. So what do I do in the game? What I do in the game is I'm focusing on another three-step process because I have pure confidence going through my veins because the intention I had when I trained. If you talk to a Mike Trout, if you talk to a Big Poppy, if you talk to the guys show he right now, like, like it's the same thing. It's the same thing that we think about and focus on to separate ourselves back. From what I know how I do it, so I don't compete against anybody else. So when I'm stepping in the batter's box against Mariano Rivera, my second year in the game, and the game's on the line. It's bottom of the eighth inning. Manny Rivera's on second base. Fenway crowd's going crazy. All I have to do is hit a line drive to right center field. I drive in Manny. The game's tied up. It's cool about me. But I'm focusing on three things only to alleviate the distractions. I can't think about ESPN. I can't think about Mariano. I can't think about the fans because the place is going crazy. I'm focusing on three things. When do I start? At what point in time in this windup? Am I going to start my load? The second thing I'm focusing on, switch to instantly read the pitch, read the pitch, read the pitch. Soft focus like a tiger in the weeds, ready to pounce on an antelope. Read the pitch, read it, read the situation. If you're a business owner, we're so stressed out on reacting because the pressure that we're in, that we don't give ourselves a chance for our, our intuition to kick in with our training to read the situation. So I read the pitch, and the third thing is react. When do I start read the pitch, react? If that pitch has to so happens to be in the same location that I worked on in the batter's cage off the tee, basic tee ball, then my eyes transmit the information to my brain. My brain processes it super quick. It goes into my file cabinet, in my nervous system, and it just pulls out that swing. Boom, react. That swing here, boom, this swing here, boom, this swing here. This is how you hit in the big leagues and have success because we only have one pitch and at bat to do anything with. So I read that pitch inside of Mariano Rivera. I just read it and I just reacted. I didn't try to hit it. I reacted. I take one step out of the batter's box. I look up 2002. The seats were not over the monster yet. Boom, the ball's already into the net. I hit a go-ahead game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park. The ground's shaking when I'm going around first base. Oh my gosh, I just felt like David beating Goliath. This is insane. How is this possible? How I trained in the cage with intention of specific focus and how I presented myself in the situation with uh, intention and specific focus. That's it. It's not a trait. And I, and, I, and I can't stand, dude, when people tell me, oh, man, you were so talented. I wasn't talented. You're disrespecting somebody when they have massive success saying that they're talented because you discredit the work that they put in behind the scenes 
to master the skill sets to go out there and do the impossible, do the things that other people think that's not capable of happening. I mean, prepare and present. And I'm imagining that's in business, whether, whether you're in sales or you're in management. If you're in sales, you're about to jump on a sales call, you're practicing before you just jump on that sales call. If you're in management, you're practicing what's going to happen in that meeting before you just jump in that meeting. So you're prepared. If this happens, I'm doing this. If this happens, I'm doing this. And I see so many people just don't prepare. And I think that's good because we all have talent. Uh, your talent was probably very similar to other people that did not make it. But the way you prepare, you presented yourself and you simplified things and you slowed things down. You probably never, I know you don't watch baseball, right? Or at least didn't in the past. Have you ever seen the movie For Love of the Game, Kevin Costner? Yes. You've seen it. Okay. Well, remember he's like, you know, at Yankee Stadium and he's like, eliminate the mechanism and he just slows it down and all of a sudden the people disappear. He can't hear anything besides the only thing he could see is the mitt. And I thought, wow, isn't that what you have to do in life? You have to slow your heartbeat down. We all have anxiety. We all have fears. We all have challenges, right? Not everybody has 50,000 people yelling at them like you've experienced, but we all have it. And for us to slow ourselves down and get rid of all the trash so we can be totally present and focused is amazing. And I think, Shay, that's what sets you apart from anybody else, which is which is amazing. Yeah, and I drive my wife nuts because uh, I make the bed the same way every day. I take the trash out the same way every day. I mow the lawn the same way every day. Every day. It's like everything's preparation. Preparation is the key to success. Everything's like the uncluttered mind is systematic. And guys that understand how to control their mind and train their mind how they want it done because they know how they think. That's when you're leveraging your mind. But so many of us have trained our mind in a negative fashion because we've been created for fear, right? There's there's, there's three different types of fear. Fear of failure, fear of success, and fear of what other people think of us. And for me, out of those three, I didn't fear about failure. I didn't fear about success. I feared what people thought about me because the stories I told myself every single day I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, and my dad doesn't love me. And that's what drove me to the top, and that's what led me to the demise of my career and the demise of everything in my life to where it's like I lost everything nine years ago. And it's very interesting to see how things happen, and that's what's relatable to people. It's like, man, when I'm in these dark moments, when I'm beating myself up, when I think life's passed me by, when I think that this is all life has to offer, I'm telling you, dude, like I was flying to the 2005 All-Star Game in a Citation 10 private jet. Pimpin' to Detroit, Michigan. I look out the window, the thoughts going through my mind as I'm going to my childhood dream, your childhood dream, so many boys' childhood dreams, getting ready to play in front of tens of millions of people in the Midsummer Classic. I'm looking out the window, I was like, is this all life has to offer? Is this it? I'm at the apex. And there's no substance to this. I can't stand this. I'm making so much money. I'm doing so many things that so many people wish they could do, but I didn't know who I was because I didn't master and work on the inner game, the stuff that you're talking about right now. So talk to me more about that. You know, looking at it, what does that look like? You mentioned nine years ago, life wasn't where you ultimately wanted to be, but you reached the pinnacle of where you wanted to be professionally. And I think a lot of people get there. They have this vision, they attain these things, but it ultimately doesn't, you know, quench their thirst. Talk to me a little bit about that and, and what you learned as a, you know, as you progress. Yeah, this is, a, thank you for allowing this space because this is where you, you'll you'll see my soul light up right now because this is what, this is my purpose. 
Major League Baseball wasn't my purpose. I, I thought it was my dream. I, there, it, it was all right. It, I, I don't live and die baseball. I, I can give two darns about opening day. I don't care to ever go to a game or pick up a baseball bat again. I love and respect the game for what it provided for me. And in the, in the, it's like a chess match and all the stuff you have to do to do it. But I, I, I don't, I, it's not my dream. This is my purpose right here doing this. Um, what, what happens is about a month and a half ago, my wife and I went down to New Orleans and we we're on Bourbon Street and we saw a street person, a gal, and she was uh, probably in her mid thirties and she was strung out on meth and she was in her shorts. You can tell she's living on the street and we're talking to this girl and she couldn't even, she's not even present. She's not even there because the drugs have jaded her mindset and her vision of where she's at. And we go back to the hotel room at night and my wife's sitting there in bed with me and she's like, man, I wish I could help that girl. I wish I could help her so badly because, because she's not where she thinks she is. And I said, sweetheart, we can't help her because she can't see. She can't see. And, and, and we, we, we take it a step back is that, is that we don't feel seen. See, what happens is we've all been wounded in our life. All of us have had an experience in our life where we've, we've felt disconnect. We've felt unworthy. That just happens in our childhood and our adolescence for the vast majority of us. And when you go through that experience in your life and how you perceive that experience, you don't feel seen. So the 14-year-old Shay, I uh, sitting on my bed, and my dad walks into my room and he says, we're moving from California to Arizona in the prime of my high school career. When he left the room, the story I've told myself, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me, I didn't feel seen. So I used that pain inside myself to drive me to the top, but I didn't feel seen when I'm flying the private jets, when I'm cracking home runs in Yankee Stadium, when I'm on the all-star team, cashing million-dollar paychecks on the top of the mountain at the apex, the pinnacle of my career. I don't feel seen. And when you don't feel seen, you have pain in your life. You have this pain in your soul. You have this pit in your soul because you don't feel seen, whether you're on the streets or in a major league stadium. This is what we're all going through. And when you don't feel seen, you have a pain. When you have a pain, what you do is you run numb and flee from that pain. A lot of us go to drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, gambling, food, uh, business, success, whatever that might be. So when you're at that point where you don't feel seen, you can't see the blessings in front of your face. So the very last night that we're in uh, Bourbon Street, this girl walks by me that lives on the streets. And I was praying for her, praying for God to have her see me. She walked by me. She said, I remember you. And I said, yes. She says, you want to die on my couch tonight? This is six weeks ago on Bourbon Street. She's waiting in my face. Do you want to die on my couch tonight? I'm like, it's not going to happen, sweetheart. It's not going to happen because I'm a blessing. I'm here to bless your life. And she instantly said, do you have a dollar? And that was epiphany in my life right there on Bourbon Street with the street person. I said, this is what people go through. If you don't feel seen because you're disconnected from an experience in your life, Sorry, I know this might be a little bit too deep for people, but this is the truth. Um, if you don't feel seen, you can't see the blessings in front of your face. My wife and I were the blessing for this gal. There's so many blessings that I missed in Major League Baseball. I should have been a $100 million player, but I made $20 million. I don't care about the money, but I reached one-fifth my potential because I didn't feel seen, so I had pain in my life. I couldn't see the blessings or the opportunities or, or the doors that could be open in front of my face. So if you don't feel seen, you don't see the blessings. And if you don't see the blessings, you ask the wrong questions. Why am I here? Why am I so fat? Why am I not doing good? Why am I in this situation? Why does everybody else do it? Why is Shane making the big leagues and I didn't do it? We're asking the wrong questions rather than uplifting questions. What could I do to be the person that God made me to be to go out there and impact the world? What does it look like for me to be a millionaire? What does it look like for, for, for me to have success in my business right now? If we ask the wrong questions, we lead ourselves in a cycle of nothingness. And that's what led me to nine years ago in a van 
overdosing on drugs and alcohol, one breath away from losing my life. I was one breath away. And the questions were, what were your parents if you left this world today, Shay? What kind of dad would do this to his kids? Shay, why did you fail so much? Why are you a loser? Why are you a hypocrite? Those questions were going through my mind because I couldn't see the blessings in front of my face because I didn't feel seen. So, so many of us professional athletes right now, major league baseball players, we don't feel seen. They don't feel seen. They're struggling. There's, there's mental uh, health issues. There's challenges with so much money. There's people wanting everything around you. You get disconnected from who you are then you don't feel seen and you can't see the blessings and he asked her own questions. So I had to get connected. You have to get connected with yourself, for one. We have to get connected with ourselves internally. The greatest battles I ever fought were between the lines in front of 40,000 on ESPN with Stephen A. Smith talking crap about me, with the fans booing me. Those weren't the greatest battles. I could do that easily. The greatest battles were the internal battles when I left the stadium each and every night thinking I was worthless, thinking I was a loser, thinking I was no good. And that's what sucked, and that's what led me to the point of just leaving my childhood dream because I had everything at my fingertips, but I didn't have myself. So I had to get into momentum. I had to do certain things to understand how to work on myself so my business can grow. See, entrepreneurship business is a self-development game with an amazing upside. Business and entrepreneurship is a self-development game. So many of us get going with our career and having so much success but then our, our business outperforms us. And then we govern that. We have a governor on our business because we have a governor on our life. Our self-esteem, our self-worth, our identity is like a thermostat on the wall. I'm in Arizona right now. It's 90 degrees out. My thermostat thermostat set at 75 degrees. If I open up my door right out of my office and the hot air comes in, the thermostat's going to kick on and cool it down to 75 degrees because the hot air is coming in. The opposite is in the other side of the country right now, maybe in Utah where my brother is, where it's snowing. Uh, if it's 75 degrees, they open a door, they, they, the cold comes in, the heater turns on. The thermostat turns the heater on and it warms it up. See, what happens is so many people's identity, self-worth, ability of themselves is set at 75 degrees. I walked away from $15 million in potential earnings because my internal thermostat was 75. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I can't do it. If I just go get another home run, if I just go get another ESPN, if I just make one more contract, everybody will see who I am. See, we got to raise that governor. We got to release that governor in our life by taking massive action, by putting ourselves in a position to be around people that can raise it up. So if you're a 125 and I'm a 75, if I just have close proximity with you, I will inherently raise my internal thermostat within the 10 or 15 degrees of you just by being around you. That's why it's so important to have the right people speaking into your life and the right people around you because I can't tell you my high school, my junior college boys, my college boys we drank beers with. We go, must be nice to be you. I can't be friends with you anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just because I'm living the dream and you're not, we can't be friends? People don't realize what we go through through this stuff. So it's all about the governor that we have in our life and understand that Till the day we die, this is about self-development. I have to align my will with God's will. It's my responsibility to raise my internal thermostat, to go out there and do the things that I need to do on a daily basis to continue to elevate who I am as a person. When you do that, you tap into such a deeper version of yourself. And get this, I didn't have a voice when I played Major League Baseball. I had the third highest active batting average in Yankee Stadium behind Paul Konerko and H.R. Suzuki than Shea Hillerman. I could... I could perform on the biggest stages in baseball. I'd hit home runs. I'd be on ESPN. 
I'd go to a $4,000 dinner at a five-star restaurant with my friends, and I'd sit at the supper table, and I'd sit there and almost pee my pants every single time because I couldn't step to the plate outside of the stadium. Because if I got up from my t table and went to the re restroom, the, used the restroom, I had fear of everybody staring at me. How do you deal with that? How do you process that as a human being when everybody's treating you like a guy? Wow, man. <laughs> you know, at the end of these shows, I, I try to summarize it, and I don't even know where to start. So what I need to do is I need to go back and listen to this episode, and I hope everybody listens to this two or three times, gets out a pen and pad and writes some things down, and I'm going to do my best on all this in the show notes, Shay, because this is amazing. And I know, real quick, what are you doing now? Where are you spending your time now? And talk to me a little bit about this book that you're writing as well. Yeah, right now, thank you. Um, right now, um, I keynote speak. I share my story on stages around the world. And I have a coaching program, help people. Basically what we do is to help people create momentum in their life so they can create agency. When you create agency in your life, when you take back control and understand how to integrate these little simple principles that I'm kind of touching on, you'll create agency in your life. When you create agency in your life, what you could do so amazing, you control the narrative. You control the narrative in your personal life with what you believe to be true about yourself because that's the most powerful force in human nature is for you to stay congruent to what you believe to be true about yourself. When you were in high school, when you were talking about the beginning of this, this uh, podcast, when you're in high school, you're worried about going 0 for 1, 0 for 2 if I get a hit. I was worried about going to the big leagues. I believed I was going to be a big leaguer and I behaved like it. I don't know what you guys are doing. I believed and I behaved like it. So what happens is if you create agency in your life, you can control the narrative. It's all about controlling that narrative because the most important conversation you'll ever have in your life is the conversation you have with yourself. When you control the narrative and align that up with the source, what happens is you can control the narrative in your business. You start creating leverage in your life. You start understanding what you need to do to rise above where you are right now and do what you've been created to do. Like life's, like life's short. And I'm, I'm doing everything I can till my last breath to use my voice to help other people find their voice, to create agency in your life so they can control that narrative. See, when I lost everything in my life, I was losing my petting zoo and I was walking through and I had this audible voice go through my head. And it says, Shay, use your voice to help other people find their voice. And I was like, it stopped me in my tracks and very few things stopped me in my tracks because I'm so focused. And I sit there and I had a conversation with that voice and I said, I don't even have my voice. I'm losing everything in my life. But I made a second pact in my life that once I got through the hell that I was going through in my life at that point in time when I lost everything, I lost everything in my life. I made a pact to say, when I find my voice, I'm going to use that to help other people find their voice. And that's the, that's the premise of my clothing line, 2V's Apparel, Voice to the Voiceless, helping people find your voice. What's your voice? Your voice is your calling. The voice is your purpose. Your voice is, is just finding, just lighting up. And just being able to put that smile on your face when you walk out into society and just put that smile on your face. I can't tell you how many people I received DMs from right now saying that video that you put out, the thing that you did on a major league baseball field, gave me one more day. Gave me one more day and one chance for not giving up. Shay, I was going to commit suicide today, but I didn't because I listened to that video that you put out. The video that I didn't want to do because nobody's listening. Why am I doing this stuff? Because I have all these negative thoughts going through my mind. You can't do it, Shay. You can't do all these things. Why are you doing this stuff? I just continue to, to just trudge through that stuff and find clarity. It's like, if you just do that, that's when you come alive. I'm telling you, brother, 
flying the private jets, cracking the home runs, becoming a two-time all-star, doing all the things that I did on Major League Baseball. Yeah, that was cool. But man, when you find who you truly are and discover your gifts and talents that you didn't know you have and start to create ADC in your life and start controlling that narrative and using that narrative to impact other people's lives like you're doing right now. I know you had those conversations. Should I start this podcast again? Should I get back into baseball again? This is something I love to do. But you just did it. And when you do that and keep sticking at it, keep showing up every day and mastering the small things, what happens is you start to rise. You start to gain more clarity. Your voice starts to become more pure. You start to have articulation with your thoughts and your ideas and your actions. And you start to move in a direction that's truly making an impact. Google me. I was a cans for the clubhouse. I was the guy that got in a fight with John Gibbons. I was the guy that called Theo Epstein an explicitive on the radio right before he traded me. I was a guy that was lost and abused and abandoned and had no voice that was hurt. That was trying to express my voice and everybody just ridiculed me. But all I needed was a hug and just to say, Shay, it's going to be all right. So that's what I try to do. That's what I'm doing through my messages. That's what I'm doing through my keynote speeches. That's what I'm doing through, through uh, uh, my coaching. That's what I'm doing with the book I'm writing right now. Until the day I die, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to do everything I can. Just try to help somebody else out. Because my wife did that for me. When I had nothing left in my life, my wife showed up. God brought her in my life. And she stood there. And she was, when I wanted to give up, when I wanted to say, you know what, I can't figure this out. She says, I love you. I see you. I see you, Shay, for who you are. But don't you know who I was? I don't care that you played baseball, Shay. I don't care the success that you guys have. I don't care where people are. I want people to understand that they're seen. Because when you're seen, you can see the blessing. And when you see the blessing, you start asking the right questions. And when you start asking the right questions, you start stepping into the person that you're created to be. So that's where I'm at. I love it. Well, I wish I could give you a hug right now. Um, and I will the next time I see you. But go give your wife a hug. I know she's an all-star as well, man. And uh, thank you so much for taking time and making time where do our listeners go to learn more about you connect with you all that kind of stuff it's uh shayhillenbrand.co uh .co .com is taken i think some red Sox fan took it uh, i was holding on to it or whatever but this shayhillenbrand.co is kind of like my speaker page it has like some videos and stuff on there and you can reach some coaching and stuff like that or you can reach me on socials i spend most of my time on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So it's either Shea Hillenbrand or Shea underscore Hillenbrand on Instagram. Got it. Cool. We'll put all that in the show notes. And uh, Shay, thanks again for your time on uh, the Dugout CEO podcast. Thank you so much for the space, brother. I appreciate your time. Wow. Dugout Nation, blown away. Shea Hildebrand, what an all-star both on and off the field. So cool to get insights from someone that was an all-star in Major League Baseball. He gave us some amazing things to think about and take action on. That will help you become a better you. Here are my big three takeaways. Three things of why some people make it to the top and some don't. Number one, people that learn to make it to the top learn to slow themselves down. He learned this from Pedro Martinez. Number two, if not what you learn, it's how quickly you can learn it, how to speed up your learning. And in order to do that, you have to get around people that are greater than you. And number three, you have to know your true identity, and that is all about how do you handle fear? Fear of success, fear of failure, and fear of what other people think. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP at what you do. 
sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.